0: So start off by telling me, are you really fine?
1: Hello and welcome to No, Really I'm Fine. I'm Michael Pearson and this episode is all about drag culture and mental health. You may have noticed a new programme on Channel 4 called Drag SOS – It's about five drag queens who told the nation to find unsuspecting members of the public to unlock their long lost confidence and become bolder, braver versions of themselves. So I decided to head over with my microphone to Manchester to speak to Cheddar Gorgeous, the mother of House Gorgeous and one of the stars of the show. But before we hear from Cheddar, here's a little clip from Drag SOS with kind permission of Channel 4. Have you got a potential name for your inner drag?
0: I'm a granddad, my grandson's five years old. He always calls me Poppy, rather than Granddad. And he's autistic, and every time I give him a cuddle, I say, come for some Poppy love. And I thought, Ashley, <laughs> that might be a good name. Oh, that's a lovely thing. <laughs> I
1: love that. I love that I as love
0: well. I love Poppy love. What would Owen think of you if he saw you now? Um, he'd laugh, first of all. And then he'd, I'd like to think he'd be quite proud. I'm standing in a drag lab being made up as a drag queen and and I'm feeling all sorts of different emotions. I'm feeling, I'd like to think I'm feeling how Owen was feeling when he was 10 years old looking in the mirror.
1: To you, this week's episode of No Really I'm Fine. Um,
0: Today I'm joined with the beautiful Cheddar Gorgeous. I like how you put that as joined with. It was like we've come together in a special moment. (laughs) We're joined with.
1: We have actually. We've sort of come together just because if anyone doesn't know, you're part of a new show which is called Drag SOS Mm. and it's a program that's on channel 4. And actually, I didn't see the the program being advertised around because I was I'm, I'm on another planet. And but I did see it came into my Facebook feed the the a video from Channel Four, and it was this lovely moment with the the father and the son, and mm. um, which has gone like viral and things like that. So I was looking around and I saw that you were from Manchester. So I just thought I have to, but for a mutual connection, I was like I have to get you on the show. So welcome. But what we always do when we first start the podcast is the first question we ask our guests is, are you really fine today? I'm fine, actually. That's
0: what I'm supposed to say, (laughs) isn't it? (laughs) Um, I'm all right. I'm a little bit tired. I've been doing a lot of press stuff. So it means going around and uh, traveling a lot and it's, um, I'm a little bit like worn, mm. like a little bit tired, yeah. but I'm quite good really. I've got a bad back. I've got a herniated disc. Can I just go on about all my problems? Is that how yeah. this works?
1: It is. Yeah. The, the, yeah. It's like, it's, it's, it's like a non-therapy therapy. Love that. Thing. Yeah. Love that.
0: We it's going to not be a very interesting podcast for your listeners, <laughs> I promise you. Um. What, what we always do is we we
1: like to start by um finding out about people's stories. And I I think for the people that don't know, let's... We talk about your story about you know how you got here today. I mean, what was interesting? We were chatting. Well, you picked me up in a car. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> the,
1: what I mean is, is that you, um, when I was chatting to you in the car on the way over, you were saying, "Oh, you know, I was, I was a social worker, and you know." And how do you go Well, I was
0: never, See, so the thing is, I was never oh, actually train, a social worker. I, I trained as a social worker, but I was too young to train as a social worker. So I started I started my life with the idea that that's what I was going to do. And uh, from a very early age, from the age of like 15, I, I thought that's what I was going to do. All my mum my and my sister, they, they both work in the NHS. My dad now works in the NHS. And there was always this idea of like, what I was going to do was going to be a social worker. So like my mum was a, a nurse, my sister was a paramedic um i was going to be a social worker that was what i had in my head and um so I trained very very early trained the earliest i could train when i was qualified when i was 21 mm. um and it just i just i don't think i had the right life experience for that and so i worked for a little while um but then uh started uh basically working full time running restaurants. So I've I had like a really disjointed all over their journey to get here today. I've done so many yeah. different things. So I I trained as a social worker, then I ran restaurants and um in, in Hull, which is a lovely town. Although it is very lovely now, actually. It never used to have a reputation of being very lovely, but I always loved it. And now They've I think just it's... just the capital of yeah, culture. Yeah, they? they're the capital yeah. of the culture, which is really amazing, lovely thing to see because I always had a great love for the, for the, the city. It was fabulous. Um, and from then, I, I trained as an anthropologist. It's a long, And lots of people always go, oh, what? And I'm like, yes, I know. I feel exactly <laughs> the same way. After studying it for so long, I'm still not quite sure. Um, but anthropologists um, study... At people essentially. And so they, they're often going to spend a long time with people. And then they write about the experience of getting to know those people and understanding their culture. So, um, through ethnography, they often call that. So participant observation, ethnography. So I worked as an anthropologist. Well, did I work as an anthropologist? Cause I feel like you're all in the education system. You're always kind of in training, aren't you? Mm. Um, so I did my PhD in anthropology, which is not too dissimilar from, journalism, so probably not too dissimilar from your world. Although there's going to be loads of anthropologists out there going, no, well, actually, no, it's very different. <laughs> um, well, And it is, and it is. it's got a very different background in some respects. But yeah, so, I, I, and then I ended up being a drag queen. Yeah. How did that happen? And, and do, that's interesting because you're obviously, you live in Manchester now and Are you're you? originally from Birmingham.
1: Oh, I I am. Was, you know, like Manchester is obviously known as being this great hub for diversity in lgbt life and things like that so did manchester have a play a lot to play in that
0: i i can't say it was about manchester i think it was something very much about me in you yeah Yeah, and i think that's the thing about drag it's very much about letting something out um and giving yourself a permission to let something out um I think Manchester certainly helped, but Manchester drag wasn't big in Manchester when I Mm -hmm. got into drag. Like it was something that not many people did. Like we're talking 11 years ago, 10, 11 years ago. And it was yeah, but it was about ten, eleven years ago I started doing drag, and people weren't doing it in the same way back then. Now you go down Canal Street, and every single bar has a, has a drag queen. It was a, almost like a dying art ten years ago, mm. and I think largely due to things like RuPaul's Drag Race, it's had this sort of resurgence. Um, and I think the Manchester history in drag is so very diverse. So we have many different eras of drag that have come and gone like the Hacienda era. And then obviously there's been this kind of, this, this run of what people call traditional British cabaret, you know, so that's been there all the time and always will be there. Um, So it definitely gave me a good ground in which to start playing with drag but it wasn't really a hugely popular or successful or, or profitable thing to do at that time. Was it easy sort of thinking, and now I'm going to get into driving no. and do that sort of stuff? It was something I did to make, to. it was something I did as a kind of relief, as a way of bringing fun back into my life and as a way of refinding confidence that I'd lost doing my field work. So I, my field work was really, really challenging. So in anthropology, you go and you do a period of time where you, you do research and you do your field work. And I did work around public sex and sex work, which was quite stressful. I spent a lot of time around a lot of very chaotic people and around some very nice people. Um, and as a result, I lost a lot of confidence. I lost a lot of what I'd had as a young adult mm. um, and drag really became a way for me to reconnect with. Um, it's not even the same thing, maybe to to reinvent an energy in myself that was able to connect with the world.
1: When you said about losing energy, you know, had you always been a sort of a really sort of confident
0: person? Oh God, not? no darling. I was an overweight ginger geek. <laughs> like t- when I was a teenager growing up, I was into a Star Trek it just it didn't end with Star Trek. Oh, do you still watch Star Trek? Oh, of course I still the watch Star Trek. Oh, the new oh, series absolutely. is amazing, darling. Yeah, it's so It's great, amazing, yeah. darling. So Star Trek, I did Babylon 5, I did all the niche ones, I did Lex, I did Farscape. Like, I wasn't a, a real proper full-on geek. And I, I was not, I was, I was an introvert, you know, throughout school. Um, and then when I went to college, that was when I started to kind of Uh, branch out and kind of want to express myself more. But even that was, you know, quite a struggle. You know, I, I, um, when I was between the ages of 17 and 19, uh, I was not the best at eating. I had, I had and remain I still have a lot of issues around body dysmorphia, around Seeing a, a particular kind of person in the mirror that may not necessarily resemble truth or fact that other people see. Um, so I think my life has always been bound up with struggling with those kinds of issues, and drag has really helped me be able to find a a way to feel good.
1: And you said there that about and when you left home and you explore more, that seems to be sometimes a common theme from. From everyone, we really. I mean, I certainly when I went to uni, I went to explore things more. And do you think that is, you know, because that when we're at home, we don't want to do that? We do it was because of parents' situations and the family life.
0: Or- well, I think being at home didn't stop me towards the end. <laughs> As I'm sure my mother will attest, um, didn't stop me from from being a little bit of a rebel towards the end there. Um, but I think it's classic, isn't it? You have people, Kids go away to university. The culture of going away to university is very peculiar when you think about it. And I think certainly for my generation, it was like the done thing for everyone. Everyone went away to university. And it's those times when you you leave home and you are given a certain kind of freedom to spend your time how you like. Where you have, where you, where you make those explorations?
1: Were you lucky that when you were at home, you had a good relationship with family or? Yeah.
0: I've been very, very lucky. Um, and don't get me wrong. It wasn't perfect at all times, but certainly they have, they have worked to love and accept me. You know what I mean? And I'm sure at times I have been difficult to love and accept.
1: And. There was there was another um, drag queen I Licorice Black.
0: Licorice Black, and she, my baby. And,
1: and, um, she talks about in that first episode. That yeah, gone so there's only been one episode out. Hasn't there that has only
0: been and, one episode. Um,
1: I'm sure by the time this go out, there'll be two. But the well, um, yeah, the um, she talks in uh, quite openly in that first episode. Yeah. And you can see that the tears down her face about. She doesn't have that, and that it's an interesting.
0: Oh no, that's Anna. Oh, sorry, so, sorry. Oh goodness, sorry. And oh sorry. my god, what can you believe that? Anna? Oh no, what my have I done? god, sorry. that's Anna, and what a brave and I moment! I watched the episode twice as well. <laughs> so. Absolutely, and just just to kind of give you an introduction to the team. So there's me, yeah, anaphylactic, licorice black. Lil, Titi, Bang, and Estina Mandela. Um, most of us are, are Manchester-based. But in that episode that we we just saw, which was set in Dover, Anna goes into quite a lot of detail about her relationship with her dad. Mm-hmm. And in a way that like it surprised all of us, um, and I think was incredibly brave. Um, and I'm so incredibly proud that she went there. You know what I mean? And, and actually felt okay to open up and talk about that stuff because it's incredibly important that, and I, I think we could say for any parent-child relationship, and that was what was lovely about Sean and Owen's story, was that I think any parent could take from that, that it's important to learn about and embrace your children's life. But particularly, I think for LGBTQ young people where our lives can be so radically different from our parents yeah. and in and issues of love and acceptance uh, are things that we crave we we want that affirmation because we're lacking it from society
1: we'll talk about dragway so it's a, a lot more in detail be later Rob, because i don't really want to go away from me drag me oh drag right yeah sure just, that's and, fine too and, and it is <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was interesting as well you talked about star trek as well because do you, would you say there's a relationship between cosplay and drag because I know they're completely different I think worlds, there's
0: a relationship but- between my drag and science fiction mm. like I can't I think that cosplay is, is interesting because cosplay is about emulating another character whereas drag is about creating a character from yourself yeah. right so I think there are, there is a difference there Um, I don't feel like drag is playing dress up and Mm. that's not to devalue dress up because I think cosplay is amazing and it's wonderful. And I think it's a really fun way to give yourself a freedom from yourself. Mm. Drag is about going into yourself. It's about becoming so comfortable with yourself that you no longer have to free yourself from that person. It's about becoming that person that you want to be, even if it's just for that little moment And by allowing yourself those moments where you get in touch with the most confident version of yourself or what you perceive to be is the most beautiful person of yourself or what you perceive to be as the person who doesn't care how beautiful they are Mm. or the most sassy version of themselves. Having those moments where you can connect with that person can be really, really good for allowing you to live your life in an okay way every day, more normally. Um, So for me, science fiction played a huge role in what my drag became because when I was, when I was young growing up, all the characters, and I think some, some drag queens, they look at the kind of movie starlets or the pop icons. And they look at those generally women because they tend to have a nicer, softer energy that we can connect with, particularly gay men. Um, Uh, but they look at those kind of extravagant icons and they see the the kind of person they want to actualize. For me, the person I wanted to actualize, the people who I saw as powerful and as having the ability to affect change in the world, they were the aliens, they were the monsters, they were the gods, they were the goddesses, they were these characters that are in science fiction. And so that energy now comes through my drag and my drag is largely... Uh, transhuman, almost, I
1: suppose. I mean, some of the some of the makeup that you have on your Instagram, I say. I don't way. wear makeup, but uh, thank you. Oh, sorry. The, so, <laughs> sorry. <laughs>
0: it's wrong men wearing makeup I don't know what you're suggesting
1: (laughs) well some of the some of the paintings that you have in
0: in no you can call it makeup I'm joking I'm joking I I know but it is it's
1: it's art because it is in it when when you see some of the details you know when you've got like all I I, I don't know the proper words for them Photoshop Photoshop (laughs) <laughs> when i when it, if I, everyone go and look at your instagram because you see cheddar
0: underscore gorgeous there you
1: go the nice plug was that on there you can just see these incredible photographs of of, of you in lots of these different forms and now you talk about science that science fiction having mm. that, you can see that so plain and that's so interesting from from your perspective to see that that connection.
0: Through- well, because superheroes and monsters and dragons and those things, they actually just have the power to do whatever the hell they want mm. a lot of the time and change the world and be heroes and save people. And, um, You be connected to people in ways sometimes literally be connected to people in ways that we can't in our world. And that was always the kind of thing I was interested that the stuff that I couldn't do, the people I couldn't be, that's what drag allows you to do. It allows you even if just for a moment to be those things that we're not allowed to be the rest of the time. So in a a
1: sense, it's a, it's, it's a huge form of of expression that you couldn't find Um, yourself
0: maybe. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of debate around how you define drag because so much people think of it as gender, as a gender trans- primary gender transformation mm. as men dressing up as women um and I think we need to think less about what drag has been and more about what drag can be um and so for me, I'm much more interested uh in in drag as a way of uh through makeup costume performance through all those different things. Oh, a, a way of us creating a spectacle of ourselves for looking into ourselves and thinking, what's the one thing I think that people don't see about me and how am I going to make that the only thing that they see? How am I going to make that larger than life and bigger than anything? And do you think that drag helps well, people's mental well-being? Yeah. and And in mental health terms, mm-hmm. that idea of being able to look inside yourself and maybe show that aspect of yourself that people um don't see normally that can be hugely valued mental health wise because you have uh, so say for example one of my drag daughters who actually i think is taking it's just back. just explain drag daughters drag daughters. So, uh, sorry, sorry just uh, in a is, lot of uh, in a lot of drag communities you have a a terminology used like drag mother, mother drag daughter drag sister and i suppose it's a way of us making the relationships we have as performers and friends and artists more weighty so we kind of For me, it's very much almost like a serious play. So they are people who I've known for years, who I'm friends with, uh, who I work with. So there are professional ties, there are personal ties, and there are ties of like mentorship as well. Mm -hmm. So I have, um, Anaphylactic is my drag sister, Lil is my drag sister, TT is my drag sister. And then I have a younger generation, if you like. So Licorice Black is a drag daughter of mine and Anna's because we were around when she started doing drag. So she kind of, she looked up to us as a prime example of how not to do things. (laughs) Um, So you have that kind of terminology that's used among, among drag communities. Sorry, I've interrupted you. That's all right. telling a story about. I can't remember what I was talking (laughs) about. What else are you talking about? Mental health and. Yeah. um, So I think. One of my drag daughters, um, who is kind of taking a bit of a hiatus from drag at the moment, she was called Violet um, when she did do drag, but she's no longer using that name anymore. Um, She used drag to connect with traumatic experience. So uh, she would become a drag monster. And so she would become this kind of tumorous creature. She would use latex and stick things over as a way of expressing pain and a pain that she felt the rest of the world didn't see. So I think it can be incredibly powerful in allowing us to express to other people the intensity of our emotions. But I think there's another aspect to that, which is you take drag off and it's something that you have a control over. And I think particularly around... Beauty and beauty myth there 's this real and I think sometimes we can misinterpret drag as being about creating an unrealistic beauty standard and I think the real th- the real great thing about drag is that everybody knows it comes off, everybody knows it 's artifice the fact that it 's fake because you know it 's fake because it 's drag right it 's the most realist thing in yet at the same time we all know it 's fake. And that reveals to us how all these beauty standards, this, all these ideas of perfection, it's all fake really. And for me, the liberation, I mean, you can, you can see me in front of you right now. Mm. For the people at home who can't, I don't make a lot of effort in my day-to-day life. I mean, I look all right. I don't look dishevelled. Well, not most of the time, but <laughs> I don't make a huge amount of effort when it comes to my appearance. And that's because I've been able to put that into drag. And for me, that's where it should be. I feel like in our daytime, you should be able to relax and do whatever the hell you want and not worry about what people think about you. Even if that's because you want to look extravagant in your day-to-day life, fabulous, great for you. For me, I don't make any effort. And I think the fact that we we know that drag is something that comes off dispels the idea that we have to be perfect and flawless all the time because it's unrealistic and it's just, it's hard work and it's
1: just not true. And do you think that says a wider picture? Goodness, this is a... This is a loaded question. Do you think this says a wider picture about beauty standards for women and
0: men in general? Mostly for women, let's be honest with you. Why, why I think that drag is something that is so powerful for women and certainly something that we saw on the show was, and, and you'll see much more on the shows it can be incredibly liberating for women to take ownership of feminine beauty and learn that it's something that doesn't necessarily have to be about them being attractive or about what anybody else thinks about them. It can be about them having fun and then about them taking it off. Um, I think it's the most peculiar thing that, that half of the human race have a set of expectations to do drag every single day of their lives. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's seen unusual for for the, the, the drag queens like me who are doing it. Um, So yeah, I, I think it reveals, and if you look at how people like Kim Kardashian using drag techniques, they've become the new standard of beauty. I'm just, I mean, I'm all for it. I'm all for people expressing themselves in any way they want, but it's when it goes from, and the thing about drag is you own drag as something that you're doing intentionally for yourself um, as a, as, as some fun, as a laugh, as a way of expressing yourself. Sometimes it's profound, sometimes it's frivolous, but you're owning it as that moment. I think the moment that that shifts from being a point of, of you being able to celebrate yourself to it being something that you feel you have to do in order to be accepted. That's when we get into a really horrible area. And that's when, Uh, or the the, the Kim Kardashian makeup techniques become a real strange and difficult thing for me to process. Because you have a lot of young women, sometimes young men, but mostly young women now who feel that they have to do that in order to be pretty. And that's ah, making a problem worse. (laughs) You know what I mean? We're like, the the joy of drag guys is that you get to take it off and maybe that you don't have to do it every single day of your life. Mm.
1: So now I want to talk a little bit about Dragware SOS. Drag SOS. Did I put an extra in there? Did you
0: read it as SOS or did you read it as Drag Sars? Drag Sars. No. Because
1: we were like Drag
0: Sars. Because it doesn't have the. Ryan. It doesn't have the darts. We were like Drag Sars. Sars.
1: But It is SOS, really. Basically, it, just for those who haven't watched it, give me like your five second rundown. Dum 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 of of what this show is and what it about.
0: Well, we've been travelling around the UK, helping people in small towns discover their fabulous through the power of drag. That
1: sounds like the that sounds like the intro to the show, doesn't it? Right, Stockline. line,
0: stock line.
1: And there's only been one episode at the minute, and the episode, and we see as you mentioned before, was in Dover, and we see three people, two two women and one man and you see them go on this journey and they've all got separate but equally it's heart-wrenching and and inspiring stories when it gets to the end. And it is a lovely show. It? And, I, and, I, and I, oh, I hate to say this, but it, someone said, can you just tell me what it is? And I was like, well, it's a bit like RuPaul's Drag Race, which I know it's not at all, but it's a bit like RuPaul's Drag Race meets Queer Eye. And I feel like a lot of people have said that probably to you already.
0: Yeah. So I think, I mean, I I love RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. Uh, I'm really excited that it's coming to the UK. Yes. Um, I think one of the things I enjoy about our show and how it differs from RuPaul's Drag Race is that at the centre of our show is the idea of drag as a thing that forms community, which, is, which happens in RuPaul's Drag Race. And you see that in yeah. RuPaul's Drag Race. You see how they become sisterly throughout the thing. But the centre- It's not a competition. No one's going to exactly. at the end. The centre the center, the center of RuPaul's Drag Race remains a competition, which is really, it's really important in American drag culture. But I don't, because of the history of pageantry that they have yes. in American drag culture. We don't have the same history of pageantry here. You know, our, our drag scenes were, were built up in small pubs and clubs and yeah. um, the, the drag queens really played parts in the community in the same way that they did in the States. But we don't have necessarily the same competition culture here. Um, so I love the fact that at, our, at the centre of the show is, is the idea that drag is something that brings people together and is something that's open to all as well. And I think, like you said, the, the two women, one man on the first episode and that varies as the series goes on. But I think we always have a female um, person who who is on the show uh, doing drag. And one, uh, one of our team members, T.T. T. Bang, is um, assigned female at birth. That's the new expression for it, isn't it? AFAB.
1: Assigned
0: and, well, female which is <laughs> AFAB, that's great. AFAB is good, isn't
1: it? Yeah, in which is interesting as well, because we're, we're not saying this is about gender.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. And what... I mean, don't get me wrong, it usually involves some kind of play of gender or a way of connecting with gender or understanding your gender in a different way. But I truly believe that drag is something that can be embraced by men, by women, by non-binary people, by transgender people. I mean, I think, why should anybody get out of the level of discomfort and suffering that people have to go through in drag? It's something we can enjoy all together.
1: <laughs> and in the show, you, there's one particular story and I don't, was was the story that we see now Spoiler
0: alert! But yeah, the, the between
1: the father and the son Owen
0: and Sean. <laughs> and that poppy love and it, as she becomes.
1: And yeah, and it's and it's a beautiful story. It's a
0: lovely story. Tell so her. um oh, we Owen nominates his dad, Sean, and we go and meet Sean. And obviously, even though Owen's nominated him, Sean has agreed to do this. Uh, we couldn't force him, you know, well, wouldn't that be wonderful to pick out the people in society we want to force him to drag, but that's just not how it works. Um, And how it shouldn't work, of course. But Sean really committed to the project because he felt that he had not connected with his son enough as his son was growing up. His son was, had came out as gay and he found that very difficult. Sean had what he describes as quite caveman attitudes towards his son coming out. And I like that you meet him in the football pitch. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Bit of a, bit of a stereotype, but he's, he, he, he's a wonderful man and obviously has taken, he has turned a corner in his life when it comes to the acceptance of his son and his son's um, sexuality. Um, but, not only has he turned that corner, he's acknowledged that there's something he feels he has to make up to his son there. And the way that he decided to do that was to try and connect with um, Owen's drag. So Owen does drag um, and, and Sean just believed it would be a really, a great way to understand what his son was going through growing up. Now, what you see in that is... I mean, we, we presented this idea as like thinking we're not really knowing whether it would work. So we kind of presented this idea to the channel going, well, we've got this idea that drag maybe can help people connect with each other and their emotions. And it's a really wonderful thing. Not really knowing whether it was going to pay off. (laughs) And then through, through the stories like Sean's, we saw, oh my God, this actually, it, it was right. It's a profound way of exploring yourself, but also, um, allowing you to connect with your family and your friends, and whether and be that through a moment of celebration, or through, as we see in Sean and Owen's situation, a chance to actually articulate something to one another that they haven't done yet.
1: There was a lovely moment where Sean, and that was this was the bit that got me when he put on the wig for the first time, and then the put on a yeah. was wearing a dress? I can't remember. It was like put, a silly
0: like, thing. Yeah, he yeah. put something on,
1: and he looked in the mirror
0: and he just started crying and he said i can't remember the exact words but he said something like i just imagine i just imagine owen doing this and i should have been by his side got got me cuz he wanted to yeah, cuz he wanted to you know he had that image of like playing football with his son that he he uh, in the past had approached his relationship with his son with what he expected the relationship to be rather than what the relationship would grow into and he felt like he missed out on a chance to be there with his son. And it is, you you, you describe the situation and it sounds silly and it is because drag is profoundly silly and profoundly fun and and a real, it's a great opportunity to have a laugh. And, you know, you have this guy there in a a wig and he's just having a good time. Um, But then it can have this deeper effect, you know, and and it did. It made him think of a moment that he'd missed.
1: And it's and it's such a relatable
0: thing. Cause yeah, I was like for myself. Like I remember,
1: I'm not saying that when I looked at myself in the mirror and younger, I thought about that. But like i was, I know that that connection of, of mm. that football and because it's so rooted in our lives now. And I I hated football when I was younger. And I felt like I really lost a connection with my. Luckily, my dad's great and like absolutely mm. fantastic, and I love him to pieces. I don't I don't think I ever tell him so hi dad. And then, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> but, the, uh, um, but the thing is that you know. I never had that moment with my dad, and it's really interesting because my life's changed a little bit in that I now actually work in the football world with journalism, and I ended up being in the Madrid final for Liverpool in the Champions League final, and then it was just like I felt like I had no, to like, it was text. like good on your son. And, I, and I felt like I had to text my dad like, oh, like, no, no. <laughs> but, but it is interesting that with that like there was that, and then do you find that without throughout the series there's, and there's always. There's, there's 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 those relatable moments.
0: There's always there's always something that takes us by surprise, and by the time this goes out, you'll have you'll have experienced another very very powerful and wonderful story. And I think the same could be said for every single episode. We met such phenomenal people who were willing to share their lives, and I think the silliness of drag, but and and the kind of out thereness of drag, um oddly gives people permission to go into really deep and serious places because you're making yourself vulnerable. There's this idea that when you get into drag, you're putting on a mask and somehow you're going to be invulnerable. And that's just not what's happening. When you do drag, you are connecting with something deep inside yourself and you're encouraging people to look at you. That's at at the core of drag. You're saying, look at me. And when you get looked at, that encourages you to realise a whole load of stuff about yourself.
1: And it was interesting in the car we were chatting about last week's episode, which um, we had um, reality star um, Gabby Allen from Love Island on the podcast. And uh-huh. we were talking about, on the podcast last week, we were talking about, you know, reality television and how toxic it can be. And this is, this is not a reality. It's, it's you said it was structured, it was documentary, Structured, documentary. So uh, it was basically documentary, and, and, it's a, and yeah, and it yeah, falls and...
0: under Channel Four docs. And the people we met were real people. They were there's a falseness of the situation they're in, in, in the sense that they're doing drag. So we're making, we're not making them go into drag, but we are putting them in drag for the first time. Um, without the show happening, that wouldn't be happening. But there's no kind of. Uh, there's no the there's, there's set tasks for them in the form of them learning a routine, but the life that you see is real life. Their reactions to it are real reactions, um, and that they we're much more interested in their real stories, not the story of what's happening necessarily between us and the dramas that are happening between us um, whilst filming.
1: And I think it's interesting because the you know these sort of documentaries that we have on the television. I know I'd much rather watch something like this than I'd watch a, a reality TV show, but we had a really interesting discussion before in the car about, you know, sort of reality yeah. TV and that sort of spear and about, you know, do you think this, it, these yeah. sort of programs create something that we would maybe like to aspire to, but why are we having Yeah. Yeah. That? Yeah.
0: Um, I think dragging the show is the way that those people are allowed to tell their story. Um, I think a lot of reality TV um, is about creating a story that people aspire to and creating a particular kind of story that's bound up with certain sorts of drama and kinds of beauty and kinds of glamour that are unrealistic. So I think if you think about where we get our aspirations and what we see as a successful life, what we see as a funny and interesting life, Um, We look to things like Love Island. We look to the soaps and dramas in like Hollyoaks. And we take those, I think, even if subconsciously on a a very base level as kind of a model for how we're supposed to be living and that's what our lives should look like. And that stuff really screws us up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so even if I was just sitting on, well, I just watch, I watch these programs and I don't really take anything in. You're, we subconsciously Yeah, I
0: absolutely think that, that all of those, the stories that we watch have, um, have a way of affecting the way that we spy to certain things in our lives. Uh, even if it's just having a certain kind of job or looking a certain kind of way. um, I, I think that over time those things can't help but influence you. I could go into, I could go into a whole load of theory about it, darling. I'm anthropologist, <laughs> don't you know? Um, but if you think about the power of soap operas, and where does where does uh, what you see as a perfect relationship come from? You know, where 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 are we getting these ideals of uh, that we should be in uh, monogamous? relationships, where we get that's going a bit profanity, but where are we getting this idea of what, what we should be doing on the weekend, mm-hmm. how, what kind of things we should be doing when we go out, yeah. you know, drinking, having fun, going to the movies, you know, they are all stories that have been told to us and they're models that are presented to us of how we should live our lives. And I think what reality TV does is it gives us this peculiarly toxic mix, which is incredibly attractive people, like trying to pull each other, or uh, going in and being put in unrealistic situations that we will never be able to achieve, and the fact that we will never be able to achieve either those beauty standards because let's face it, a lot of the time it's airbrushed and constructed, and you know they're spending their times beautifying themselves. Mm-hmm. The fact that and, and the situations that they've been put in are there to create entertainment. Mm-hmm. The fact that we will never be able to achieve those situations that can only make us feel crap, mm-hmm. and at the same time. We're encouraged by them that we should have certain kinds of drama, which are actually really unpleasant for us to experience. Mm. Jealousy, you know, uh, anger, the the fallouts that you see on shows like this, they're not pleasant things to go through. Yet we look at it and go, that's the life we should be living because they're the models of success that we have. And it's interesting
1: about drag as well, because in, in drag culture, in RuPaul's Drag Race, specifically in programs like that, you know, it's, it has created this sort of beauty standard of, of drag and things like that, that actually we probably don't relate with in the UK because we've, we've been exposed, you and I ourselves have been exposed to British drag culture. But, uh, but if you're not from that, you get, you get a
0: sort of standard. It it creates a certain, there's a certain kind of drag that does well on drag race, Mm. but you know what? They always take the drag off. You know, in RuPaul's Drag Race, you don't just see the drag on stage. You see them messily taking it off and putting it on. And also the show has created a space for more alternative drag too. Um, If you look at this year's winner, Evie Oddly, she's that kind of messy, punk, she's fabulous, you know, that messy kind of punk energy of drag, um, really showing that it's not all about having the couture gown. It's not all about having the most polished skin and all of that sort of stuff it she she's been allowed to exist and be celebrated for the odd mess that she is you know was it and
1: was it was it the previous year or maybe the year before that was it so series nine was it Sasha Velour who Sasha Velour absolutely icon yeah and and she and and she when she does her drag she does it without a wig which most of the time, yeah. Most of the time. Most sorry, of the time, yeah. yeah.
0: And art, she she has this real emphasis of art in her work, doesn't she? And the the idea that she's a performance artist. And if you look at the work that she's done since finishing Drag Race to produce her own show and to do Nightgowns, um, which is her show in New York, which is really placing this, this emphasis on, on drag that has a higher concept or a, a drag that is able to show us and reflect something back about society. It's incredibly powerful, amazing stuff. Um, and RuPaul's Drag Race has created a space for that. I think it probably could do more in creating a, a space for people who aren't men.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, No, but, and, and they, they have the show, the show has, the, the show has come under criticism sometimes about that. Yeah. So we don't need to go into that, but I think, what yeah. what what is important for, so for yourself is that you've been able to be part of this this drag world that is seeing a huge
0: resurgence now. Absolutely, and, and, like, and I don't know. And we owe that to RuPaul's Drag Race, and, you know. And I think we we wouldn't, well, we don't know, do we? But I'm pretty certain without. Do you remember they they worked for many years not on a not on a a proper network? You know, they worked hard to create a show that was that has become Emmy Mm. award-winning. And the people involved with that from the start, they did that for the love of it. They did it when there wasn't a massive, huge scene waiting to celebrate them. Um, And I I think that has to be commended because without that, I wouldn't be doing the work I don't think that I do now. I don't think, I think I'd be probably doing drag on a very small scale part-time whilst I worked in university somewhere.
1: Before you were talking about how drag you created something uh, that was something so special that was inside you to bring out, you know, would you go back and go, Oh, I might change that. Or you just saying, no, I think? You know what? What? Mm-hmm. I think I'd be
0: braver. I think I'd be brave. I think I'd give up my day job sooner, mm-hmm. you know, and have th- you done that now? Or are you still, um, I'm coming to the end of it. I'm very, I've got, I had a very, very supportive boss. Who's lovely. Um, who's been very flexible with me to be able to go and do the, um, the work that I've been able to do. um, but uh, yeah, I think I would probably have taken the leap sooner. But I don't think there's any point. I don't. I don't think there's any point in thinking about what you would have done differently because you're here now, mm. and I'm very lucky to be where I am. So,
1: and, and is it almost like you feel like, well, actually,
0: my journey with drag
1: hasn't even started yet?
0: Um, God, no. It's definitely started. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably coming to an end. I'm sure, <laughs> quite I'm sure soon. <laughs> um, I think. You you can only embrace life and whether that's about a journey in drag or just a journey in general, I think you can only embrace life as something that is ongoing until it's no longer ongoing. Right. Yeah, and And I think that's how I try to see life in general. You don't really know what's around the corner. You don't know whether you're going to feel okay tomorrow. You started this podcast by asking me, how do I feel? Um, and do I feel fine? Um, I don't think you do know whether you're going to feel fine tomorrow, whether that's something that's about your physical, your mental health or something that's happening in your, your social world around you, but you can just keep on, keep on keeping on and keeping on spreading good energy, positive vibes, positive messages, because we react to one another in that way. Um, And one of the things we were talking about in the car was the fact that we're, uh, I I think that we are, we're mimetic. We mimic one another. I think that's how we learn. It's how we grow. Uh, It's how empathy works. And that can be something that works in a really, really positive way and stuff that works in a really, really negative way. So I like to just kind of, keep on going and try and surround myself with positive things. That's such a lovely way to think about it. I've just been looking we've been talking for like 45 minutes. Now. I can not believe it. I'm just I do you'd... go on. No, I'm just,
1: It just feels like we've just been sat here for five seconds. A... Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It was and, a pleasure. Um, hopefully if it's like series two, we can get you involved some more because yes. we, you know, it'd be great. Cause we're, 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 we're rounding to the close of series one, of, not to make our audience too sad, um, but um, but yeah, um, thank you so much for coming in. Um, but finally, maybe just a quick question: What do you, this is like a first school question? Is it? What is one of your favorite things about drag? That when you that's such a that's a, that's a really open question, but
0: that's what, okay. What's one of my favorite things about drag? Um, I think one of the things I love about drag is that whether it provokes celebration or whether it, and I'm using provokes in a very loaded way, whether it provokes celebration, or whether it provokes conflict, drag always enlists a reaction. By being that out there and that spectacular, you can't help but be connected to every single person that encounters you, even if they try to ignore you. And I think that movement is always good. So even conflict can be good if it encourages us towards coming to a compromise because you have to understand difference before you can move forward with anything. Perfect. Well,
1: thank you so much for coming It's been absolutely gorgeous to have you
0: here. Thank you. It's a pleasure you. to be here. We all have mental health and it's just as important as physical health. No Really, I'm Fine shares real stories and experiences but we aren't experts and this podcast is not an alternative to getting official medical advice. If your mental or emotional state quickly dips or you're worried about someone you know, help and support is out there. Talk to your GP or call the Samaritans on 0800 585858 For advice on how to help a friend or loved one, visit rethink.org. Thanks for checking out the show. I hope you join us
1: on the journey as we explore mental health. You can follow us on Twitter at I'm Fine Podcast
0: underscore. I will have loads more information and some sneak peeks for future episodes.